as an industry, we made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. There's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by John Eyre, co-founder of Broadside Studios. So join us as we explore his journey. Of course, Dev Diary is funded by an amazing group of people at patreon.com slash devdiarypodcast. They help grow the show, make it bigger, make it more successful, and they've got early access to this episode. Consider checking it out yourself, and if you can't do that, perhaps consider throwing the show a five-star review or equivalent on your podcast service of choice. Thanks a lot, and enjoy the show. So today I'm joined by John. How are you? Good man, yourself. Very well. Thanks for for putting all this, uh, working with me to put all this together. It's it's been a few weeks. Um, oh, geez, a month now since since PAX or thereabouts. So there's been some opportunity for things to kind of calm down, and um, I'm sure a bit to digest off the back of being able to show the game to to people over the last little while. How how are you feeling about all that before we kind of dive into the show properly? Yeah, PAX is awesome. Um, because we didn't really know what to expect having never been before but uh yeah it was really enjoyable um really good response everyone seemed to enjoy it which is awesome <laughs> no that, that's fantastic yeah, yeah, that's great and uh we'll get to dive into to all of that and a lot a lot more shortly because this is dev diary series you talk to developers from throughout the industry they share their short they share their stories their experiences and the journey has led to this current point in time but john there's there's some great games that you've been a part of some great teams that you've worked with but before we get to all of that, I want to rewind to a point well before your actual work in game development and talk about, uh, I guess, a purely consumerist lens. Do you recall what some of the first games were that you ever played? Maybe even what the first game was you ever had an opportunity to play? Yeah, so I grew up with uh, Master System and DOS, I guess. Nice. Uh, so I w- I'd probably say earliest memory would probably be Monkey Island. Um, and then, you know, like on the Master System, you had your pack-in game. Uh, I think that was uh, that was awful. I hated it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, it slipped my mind, but you know, like a uh, Sonic for sure. Um, but yeah, like it was just um, that era where it was sort of you know a lot of copied games, DOS, of course, variety, I suppose back then. Um, and then yeah, just sort of went from there. I remember my first shooter. My grandma worked at like a a crisis center, so like helping people. It was a sort of a religious thing, but nothing, nothing over the top. Yeah, I remember playing Doom on their computer. <laughs> so it was like my my interaction to first person shooters was that a like a religious thing, um, shooting down just, demons. Yeah, so that was that was interesting. But it's uh, apt, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was yeah, sort of set me on the path for shooters. But um, yeah, yeah, just that old. Used to love the scum games, like Dare the Tentacle. Big fan of. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean all the Monkey Islands. Love. Yeah, there's, there's some classics amongst all of those. How did your taste develop from there, though, as you, I guess, had a larger variety of games to explore, potentially other platforms entered your orbit? How Did you find yourself gravitating towards any particular games, genres, platforms, franchises? Yeah, uh, I guess, I mean, shooters were the big one, um, and then adventure games. So, I mean, they're polar opposites, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the humour and the absurdity of adventure games is what, I love, but um, for shooters, I mean, as soon as I saw 
GoldenEye on 64. Like I had to have that as a kid. Um, and that was definitely like the, probably a, a big entry point to it. Um, Cause back then, I mean, PCs are way more expensive. So yeah, you know, we didn't really have anything that sort of kept up with it. So we sort of went down the console route and then um, yeah. So like GoldenEye and then branched off into Ocarina and stuff. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Shooters and adventure games, I guess. Yeah. It seems like shooters game. always kind of remain there. Would you say that there was any one game, whether it was a shooter or something else that I guess maybe helped solidify an idea for you that, Hey, I, I kind of want to get into games in some capacity officially beyond just playing them yeah i think uh it wouldn't be anything of those i remember early on i really dug age of empires we only oh, had yeah. the demo like the demo disc and the kellogg's cornflake pack or whatever yeah the new remember, one, it was awesome yeah yeah uh, and i uh would spend a bit of time in paint just like doing pixel art of units and then i had a, in my head i was going to do this awesome thing that never materialized but um it's probably one of the earlier points. Like, I think I just always wanted to do games, but I was never really smart enough to just jump online and look out. I mean, early, I'm 35, so I was sort of growing up with the internet. Um, so it wasn't really something I thought to do as a kid. And I grew up in the bush, so. Yep. Uh, like, it wasn't, yeah, not like a community round of. Limited, of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so. But, um, yeah, I mean, here now, and yeah, every journey's different, right? Exactly right. Um, and so I guess, you know, to that journey, uh, I guess, yeah, you kind of identified that love early on and, and then, then there's everything obviously you just described. How did, I guess, officially you find yourself on the path? We've got, you know, these opportunities through Defiant and Parallax Labs and Modern Storyteller. We're obviously going to, we're going to dive into shortly, but I guess, how did it all begin in the first place? Uh, it's something I just wanted to do. Um, I was sort of just doing retail jobs, like nothing exciting. And then... I sort of just gave myself a, a time limit. I just said, you know, I'm going to hit 3D hard. And then, you know, if I didn't make it by the time that I, I set, I was going to go do something else, you know, like just something that's more of a career than, than retail. But yeah, yeah, like I, I got a, you know, got a, got the job at Defiant before, you know, timeline that hard limit was up. So yeah, it all sort of worked out well for me. But, um, yeah, like it was never an option to do something else, really. Like it, that was it, making games is sort of the only thing I really wanted to do. So. And it's nice when it all works out. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's obviously one of those things that can be, you know, and as you say, every every story, every pathway can be a bit different. Some people it takes a lot longer to find their way there, and then you know beyond that, you know, it can be a very hard industry nut to crack. Um, hmm. So to be able to kind of, I guess, find yourself at a at a studio like Defiant at that particular point in time you know enormously fortuitous and you got to i guess very early on there was it was a very transient period i guess you spent a few months with defiant there was some time with parallax there was some time with modern storyteller before really establishing yourself properly um with with defiant there what was that i guess initial few months like as you were moving you know working with multiple studios getting to see multiple different projects obviously um nick with all things modern storyteller it was it was a lot earlier days in terms of his i guess um level of experience even versus the defiant team who'd been around the block and had a bit of experience and had you know published gone all the way and published a few games previously what was what was that sort of period like as you're getting to explore these different studios these different team dynamics and different projects yeah <clears throat> i guess it was i think it was a bit scary i suppose coming from like a different industry um yeah, i had no idea what to sort of expect uh, and then, so when I started Defiant, I was just a prop artist. Uh, so I was just helping out, finish out uh, Hand of Fate 2. Uh, 
Yep. So it was a it was like a, a fixed term contract, uh, and then after that, I had to sort of run out. You know, like I just sort of put the portfolio out there to see, you know, what what I could sort of get. Um, I mean, as you probably know from talking to everyone else, it's uh, unless you've got that full time job, like it, it can be a bit hard, hard, just like bouncing around. Isn't a lot, not a lot of companies in Australia, but um, yeah, it sort of uh, it sort of just lucked out for me. Like I, I just was hitting it hard and then like as soon as you know the hand of fate stuff was done like a uh nick needed some help and then i you know did that and then you know by the time i sort of finished that then you know there was an environment artist full-time job that sort of came up at defiant and then i sort of you know just went back there and then you know unfortunately that closed but as a as that was closing nick was ramping up with uh for cotton city so yeah it just worked out really well for me i mean it doesn't work out as nicely for a lot of people but um yeah i just happen to be working hard and right place right time so yeah yeah some doors closing while others open it's always it's always you know those sliding doors moments are always really fascinating uh obviously you know i guess honing in a little bit on that time with defiant and as you say hand of fate too you got to work on some of the dlc there as well um and obviously you cited the the closure um considering at this point at that particular point in time you're still incredibly early days in your time in the industry and as much as things worked out nicely in terms of you know Nick having you know lo- looking for people at the same time that you became available, I'm sure at first that's a very I don't know maybe scary sort of prospect as as things kind of fell apart that well closed I guess fell apart maybe being a little bit brutal but um, as things kind of shut up shop there, what was that like for you as you were kind of I guess processing the news once it once it broke once within the team eventually as it then became public as well. Yeah, it. Uh... I mean, working at Defiant was awesome. Uh, I mean, you've got so many years worth of knowledge you can sort of just you know, learn from because it's always been my goal to, you know, open our own studio. Um, I was never going to be there forever. Um, and then, yeah, I think it was just we'd, we'd shipped Hand of Fate 2. We'd, all the DLC was out, and we'd actually started working on the next game, uh, which was called Incarnate. It was actually a really cool idea. It, um, it was a uh, you'd, – you'd have a – a board like a board game sort of thing and you'd have pieces that you would fit together and the pieces are different biomes and and they'd have different meeples on it and then as you connect them uh you would punch into that world and then you, you you're basically creating the sandbox from a from a top-down perspective and then playing amongst the board game is uh, that um because I, I believe kind uh, of maybe just going by different attic, names a uh, world in my attic, attic yeah yeah, yeah sorry. um kind of no, that's what we're calling it on the in, yeah, no, I'm sure, yeah an, an internal <laughs> an internal name yeah, yeah. um yeah. Because that obviously really, really fascinating project, you know, despite everything that had uh, transpired to then kind of see behind the curtain as to what was, you know, potentially on the way. Um, well, guess... it, it was pretty heartbreaking because that was the game that you know, they, <clears throat> they were sort of trying to make for many years. So it was sort of their dream game. And then cut short. To see it's... Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was a really cool idea. Like, I, you know, being new to the industry, I couldn't understand why I wasn't getting funded. Like, it just it was a cool idea. Um, but yeah, and then when it all sort of came to a head, um, like I, I was only there for maybe a year and a half. So, yeah, like I, I felt like I was a part of the team, but I, I didn't really feel like I'd, I'd been there that long. So it wasn't, like, I don't know, it's a hard, hard thing to sort of put into words. But um, yeah, I don't know. It definitely hit people harder that had been there for longer. And, you know, that was their, their studio of for course. many, many years. But like I still just felt, I think it's just that imposter syndrome, you know, like you still felt new to the industry. And then I guess, you know, with, the way that studios go unfortunately it's, it's sort of like a rite of passage to 
be part of a closure <laughs> to, or be laid yeah. off or one of those sorts yeah. of things at some point. Yeah, it's just wild. But um, yeah, and I think like everyone bounced back after the closure, like it sucked. But um, I think everyone, you know, got good jobs after it and everyone's doing really well. So, well, I mean, yeah, we see, but... you know, people, you know, like Morgan, some of the team over at Spitfire, mm-hmm. and there's a whole range of really, really cool things that are going on with a whole range of people that left, you know, such as yourself as well. But um, again, before we get to kind of broadside and, and Bears in Space and the things that you're working on present day, there is, of course, as, as we've touched on there, returning, joining, uh, joining up with Nick again to, I guess, kind of see out um all things the forgotten city so what was that like um i guess as i as i was doing my research i you know i find my way to places like linkedin for example always a handy resource and so um you know obviously you quick to kind of mention in there that you know probably about 80 percent of what people see is something that you at least you know at, le- at the very least kind of had your hands on if if not were you know really significant in kind of the way that the world was presented um Obviously, Nick had this vision that goes back a long, long time ago. You know, to the, the mods and everything he did with with Skyrim. But um, I guess taking that, building a world around it, uh, being able to inject some of your own, I guess, personality and creative thoughts into it. What was that like for you with that kind of relationship and bouncing back? You obviously got kind of the, the I guess, Nick being the creative lead and the idea behind the thing, being able to kind of mold and shape that project as well. Yeah, it was uh, like the the first days were pretty full on uh just because i got i went from creating these little tiny uh arenas in hand of fate to to um you know this open world like open i mean it wouldn't sound like a world but anyone that's played it you knows what i mean it's very open space yeah 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 so you can go many ways um but yeah getting thrown in the deep end there was a bit daunting but it was awesome like it, i loved it um like nick and alex just great dudes um just really yeah it was really fun um like it love ancient roman history and all the other histories that are spoilery if you haven't played it (laughs) it's a part of the game but um yeah it was great um i think uh you know nick was good to to bounce off with but like it wasn't a you know it wasn't a one-sided thing you know he would he had his vision but you know we can work through stuff and we can you know figure out what we want to do and what could be better for for everything but um you know like it yeah it was just it was just a cool experience um, and we even had historians that came on and you know, we, we were just really trying to nail that historic, historical accuracy, you know, it was, it was really cool. Uh, we, I think I'd, my proudest moment of building that game would be the toilets. I don't know if you have played uh, it and noticed the toilets. I, I have played the, I have played the game and, um, the toilets, the toilets. It's, uh, I'm uh, sure. I'm sure. I'm sure it'll twig. Like as soon as you start to describe what it was, provided it's not too spoilish for people, then. Um... Oh no, no, no! It's it's just in the main area. Um, it's based on toilets that were found in Pompeii. Uh, oh, okay. But I'm pretty sure that it's the only first-person ancient Roman toilet in any game ever. So, and I, I pushed hard to get that in there. But uh, yeah, it was, it's cool. Like it's filled with graffiti and everything, and, and yeah, we just um, yeah, it's cool to to be able to add all those sorts of little little bits and you know, diving into the history and, and the world and you know it's just like you sort of you just sort of think about it where you know ancient romans were just like us and then you know you go and you explore and you, you find all the the graffiti and they're all just bagging each other and and all the slang and all the curse words and stuff and it's just like that they're, they're the same as us just thousands of years ago so it was really cool to explore really cool to to build out um yeah i mean if, if you know if it wasn't as ambitious 
as I am with doing our own stuff, like I would definitely be hanging around with them making the next game that they're working on. So, which I'm sure will be amazing as well. And I guess once the game came out though, and it was you know immediately uh, well received, what was, what was that like? Um, kind of digesting that with your heavy involvement in it and being a significant part and kind of I guess rendering that world that everyone was falling in love with. Um, how do you I guess process that that success? Uh, so me personally, I don't really linger. So once once it's done, I move on. So I mean, it, it was amazing. Um, but by that point, but when my contract was sort of up with Nick, we that sort of landed the deal with bears and I would sort of just went straight to it. Okay. Uh, but it was, it was, it was an awesome feeling though. Like overall, um, it was, I think sort of in the peak of COVID though. So we yes. weren't able to sort of meet up and you know, have beers or anything or celebrate. Uh, I remember, you know, we were just sort of sitting over the, the team's meeting and then just celebrating through that. But um, Cheers and yeah, off you go. <laughs> yeah, no, it, but it, it was awesome. Like it was just, yeah, I guess, the hardest thing is like if when you when you make something especially if you're in the, the artist it's i mean it's probably the same for every every discipline but all you can see is just like you know if i had more time this would look better this would look of better course. like i never got around and then that's all you see like as soon as you launch it and then everyone you know the, the praise started coming in and stuff and it's and it's awesome and i love it and um but yeah it's it's hard to sort of separate yourself from that yeah, you can always look at the, the what-ifs and the opportunity yeah. and the, the yeah. things you but could have just... done if you had more time and all those sorts of very natural, I think, instincts to have. Yeah, but that's that's just very much, you know, sort of a me situation where, it, you know, like once it's done, I tend to not think about it and I just sort of move on to the next project. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, Forgotten City was something special and it was awesome to work on and you know, don't regret any of it. Like, it was, it was just great. So. And, and so in parallel... To, to much of much of what we've described so far, there's the formation and founding of, of Broadside. So I guess um, as as you've touched on a couple of times there, there was always the intent to to build something that was your own and not be. Yep. A, I mean, I think everyone still can you know up to a degree a cog in the machine, but you know it's your machine now. Um, and so I guess what was that like form uh, forming? Um, we spoke to to Garth for for Dev Diary Next Gen during during PAX there. So you know, with Garth coming to the mix and others getting involved, play on all these different parties that have that have come on board as as the studio and the, the game is built up. What is what was that whole process? I guess at the very beginning, like. Yeah, uh, I guess we'd sort of been working together for a long time before. Um, yes. So it was it was just sort of just like a natural flow on thing uh i suppose uh but just to go back to you know the cog in the machine uh you know, i sort of feel like you're always working for someone else's vision unless you're working on your own thing and then you've just you got to work hard and, and be lucky enough to sort of work with someone where your visions align and you you enjoy doing what you're doing so you know for example the forgotten city loved all that stuff and i was lucky enough to work on that game and be proud of what i did and so for me, it was, you know, just making sure that the next thing we did was like our vision, you know, it was, you, you, you've only got so much time, so you may as well make the games you want to make is the sort of philosophy, I guess, the uh, thinking about it. So it was something we were always going to do. Um, and you know, by that time, you know, I'd, I'd worked with Garth previously, uh, so we'd known each other for a long time and we were already, already like, uh, you know, before I had worked at Defiant, you know, we're making these top-down racing games and yep. just, the, you know, that awful stuff that you go through when you're first trying to learn how to do everything. Um, 
so yeah, like it was just a sort of a natural progression for us. Like it was never a point where we weren't going to do it. It's just, you know, when sort of thing. Yeah, of course. Um, and it all just sort of, yeah, lined up well. And, then, you know, it was a bit stressful, you know, with sort of wrapping up Forgotten City and then working on the pitch deck and sending that out. And, you know, the COVID thing was a sort of a mixed blessing for us just because you know, like, I wouldn't have been able to, to get away and go to GDC if it, if it wasn't COVID, but because it was, we were able to sort of have all these meetings, all these different publishers. Oh, of course, from, yeah. From here. So it was actually, you know, sort of worked out well for us. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, you know, juggling act and yeah. And then even when we signed the deal, it still took about a year to get the money in. And then you, know, you got to juggle that, which I think, I'm not sure if a lot of people realize that if you're starting up a business or you know, you're pitching and you, and you get that deal, there's a period of time where, you're waiting for the signatures and you've got to work full time. You've got to get people on working full time. But um, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, we got there and gone strong since. So. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of I's to be dotted, T's to be crossed. I'm sure anyone who's gone and bought a home knows that there's cooling off periods. There's all these sorts of things. There's lots of different kind of mechanisms in place that um, ensure that for all parties, it's the right, the right deal and that, that can take some time. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things you kind of have to, I don't know, probably sometimes twiddle your thumbs and be patient with and know that, okay, we're, we're getting there, but it, it's just not going to be maybe as fast as I'd like and that's just the reality of it. Um, obviously, the the other component there is the, the fact that you were working um, with Nick and building your own studio and building your own projects here and I guess spinning those multiple plates at the same time. The, again, with the, the backdrop of COVID in there as well, how did you go kind of working those multiple things and ensuring you gave the time you needed to give to Nick whilst also building that own, your own vision, building that dream on the side and not burning yourself out on top of all of it? Yeah, so there's multiple things there. So uh, I guess time management is a big one. Um, yeah, so when when I was working you know, nine to five, like bears didn't exist. Like I, that was it. I was working on Forgotten City. Uh, we'd work on bears in the morning and at night. Uh, and so it just happened to be that, you know, my favorite thing to do in the world is make games. So it, uh, I didn't really get burnt out from it. Um, and the other thing is, you know, Forgotten City is a serious ancient Roman game. Bears in Space is a stupid cartoon <laughs> sci-fi game. So it's like, there's, there's not a lot of cross-section there. Um, but another thing too is just, like, I would hit the gym in the morning as well, you know, and then reset the brain. So it's it's just you know keeping you know the body healthy, yeah, just so that you can keep the, the brain active and, and healthy too. So yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, and then you know just having like set times and yeah, I mean it's just yeah, it, everybody's different. Like I can't what what I do might not work for anyone else. So, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's the, on the creative side. There was that nice change of pace, but then there is those physical aspects and those sort of things that. Mm everyone's needs are different and you do what works best for you and and hope it all works out all right and it, it seems to have so far and so we've kind of danced around the topic of bears a couple of times here so i'll take i'll i'll give you a moment here for anyone who's listening who is not familiar with bears in space didn't maybe attend packs get the opportunity to go hands on any of those sort of things let's talk a little bit about what the game is before we dive any deeper from there okay uh, so bears in space is a retro futuristic sci-fi adventure where you play as a man-bear hybrid. So you start out as Maxwell Adams, who after a tragic accident gets merged with that of the she-bear, Bear Tana. Uh, and then you're, you crash land on an alien planet teeming with robotic devils 
and then you uh, basically just have to find your way back to Earth through just absurd adventures and wacky fun and lots of bullet hell action. So, yeah, it's just like a, a 90s cartoon wrapped up in a fast space shooter. And, and it's really, really enjoyable to play. I'll just pop my two cents in on that uh, with the opportunity to go play it at PAX. Um, there's there's some really cool stuff that you and the team are going for. I'll also add, um, and our, our great friend Mads is listening in at the moment as we record this, and I uh, was very excited after I was chatting to Garth during Dev, uh, during PAX to talk about the the bear <laughs> the bear suit that was coming along to PAX. So when you when you got the opportunity to to show the game to the masses like this, and you've got big bear suits and people going hands-on with the game what is it like to to have an opportunity like that to put it in front of all these people with i guess this little bit of extra glitz and glam and um craziness can kind of all go with it yeah it's just awesome like i can't really explain it <laughs> anything else like like i said earlier we didn't really know what to expect um you know we'd never been to pax uh that we've done smaller events in brisbane you know, a couple of hundred people and got a good response there so it was just that multiplied i guess yeah um, magnitude is just yeah just massive it's um yeah it's cool like seeing the the costume uh bouncing around and dancing and <laughs> getting all the photos and stuff yeah is is really cool so sort of i guess it just sort of legitimizes things a little bit more when you're at such a big uh venue because yeah i mean we, we sort of operate we've got a two-story house and we sort of operate out of the bottom we sort of convert it into a an office yeah. uh, a whole bunch of desks and computers and stuff but um yeah so we sort of we're isolated for the most part and then to actually get out there and you know, show the world like it's just a refresher too like it's you know it's a just a good energy boost you know get out there and get feedback and see people enjoying it you know it's it's really cool and so I guess to that feedback component of it, obviously you're putting the game in the hands of hundreds, thousands of people over the course of these few days. You, you factor in, obviously, as you, as you mentioned, other events that you've had with maybe smaller audiences, but still these opportunities to put the game in players' hands. Being able to pass through the feedback um, can be a real challenge at times too. What's that been like as you try and digest that? Because obviously you've got your own vision and I'm sure um, at times something, some things that players are probably saying conflict with what you're actually shooting for. And so being able to, I guess, wade through that and find what is actually the right valuable feedback that's actually going to contribute and better the project versus those that, uh, I don't mean it maybe in like a, as disrespectful as a way as it might sound, but those that maybe don't quite understand what you're going for um how do you kind of wade through all that and try and pick out what what matters yeah so i think the majority of people are great at highlighting an issue but poor at describing it i suppose um you know they it may be this this flashing pixel is what they're sort of saying is the issue but it's really this thing over here that sort of triggered this thing or made them look a certain way or whatever um, so yeah, I think, you know, just people saying, you know, highlighting those issues is, is good for us to sort of look into. Um, but the hardest bit with, with our sort of game is we've got the humorous element attached of to course. it. And so you're trying to get people to play something like that. That's absurd and, and goofy in a, in a short, you know, 10 to 20 minute demo surrounded by people and noise. Like it's, it's hard to sort of get that across like all the wackiness. I suppose with all those distractions um and then some people i guess as well like if you're not in the mood to laugh you're not going to laugh and yeah you know, there's all these little 
factors that can sort of weigh into it but uh yeah i mean i think the for me personally the the worst comp uh, the worst feedback you can get is when you ask someone what they think and they just say yeah it was good it's like give me a bit more <laughs> yes yeah, kind of you know, the, the wet blanket sort of comment really it just yeah it tells yeah. you nothing yeah so and but i i don't really think that was the venue to sort of get uh feedback like that anyway um i think you know that they're playing in front of us and even if they don't know it they're sort of performing for us you know they they want to play it well they want to yeah I, I think there's a lot of pressure on people just playing it in front of the creators you know most people don't want to hurt our feelings and and whatnot as well too yeah. there's those that, that aspect but i think um yeah i mean you sort of just learn everything you need to just by watching them you know and what they do and if they get stuck somewhere and yeah they didn't you know you, you see a joke that you think's funny and they don't move like it's yeah i mean you just you just watch and, and sort of absorb everything you can which is that real challenge because yeah it's sometimes hard to know whether it's that the the humor has fallen flat and or whether it was all of those other circumstances that you're saying the mm-hmm. the noise the people around them the you know, whatever it might happen to be that has actually meant that they weren't as focused as they might otherwise have been and been able to process that so um, yeah i mean comedy is a hard for... thing to get right in the first place let alone let alone when you've got those sort of circumstances as well yeah and i think you know comedy especially you can only make it for yourself um you know we just try and make each other laugh and if we do then you know it sticks in um but i think it, for us in particular you know it's a shooter first you know so we you know, made sure that it you know the shooting the adventuring all that sort of stuff feels good uh and then you know the jokes uh they're not tacked on top they're throughout the entire game they're very important but we don't linger on jokes like if you you know we, there's no waiting for applause you know it's like here's the joke move on on to the next bit of adventure so um you know if it if you don't find one joke funny you know it's not long until you find another instance where you might find funny but it's you know it's not like high in life where it's just jammed down your throat either you know it's just yeah it's part of the world it's just an absurd goofy time but it's not yeah we're not screaming into your face cells um yeah, and obviously, yeah, massive challenge. Were there, I guess, you know, you've referenced High on Life there. I'm not necessarily saying that's one of them, but were there any games that, I guess, inspired the the path High a little bit when it comes life to... Life was heartbreaking to see because we've been working on this for six years or something, and then High on Life got announced, it was like a year and a half ago, and then ever since they got announced, everyone's like, oh, you guys must have played High on Life. And it's... Oh, no. Uh, no. <laughs> Do you not know how game development works? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was that was a bit heartbreaking. But um, I played a little bit. I, it wasn't for me. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, games are sort of influence it. Uh, a huge, huge range. Um, you know, like the, the combat, obviously, the, the Doom sort of quick movement serious sam uh you know hordes of enemies ratchet and clank with the how the levels sort of uh wind on itself and yeah. the, the guns upgrade you know you've got a gun you got the, the vendor you buy the gun the more you, you kill enemies with that gun the it powers up and levels up yeah yeah and it, it's sort of like a pokemon it evolves into its next state um you know there's there's jokes and little nods to monkey island and um yeah like everything we sort of grew up with um there's nods to different movies and stuff like we even have a there's a joke encounter that's a tribute to no country for old men is that the movie yeah no country for old men yeah that's it yeah the scene with uh where he's got the the briefcase look it's it's, i'll admit it's been a long time since i've seen no country for old men so 
Um, that specific moment's not necessarily something that sticks anymore. I distinctly recall <laughs> seeing it and really, really enjoyed yeah. it, but it has been a while since I've actually seen the movie. But, but um, yeah, it's just um, anything that we sort of enjoy and you know we'd watch a movie and something goofy was on it, like oh, we're gonna make fun of this and we'll jam it into the the game. Yeah, nice. So yeah. Well, it gives lots of uh, there's lots of touchstones there, which you know, for the players when the when the opportunity comes, um, will be fantastic for them to kind of immerse themselves in, and I guess keep your eyes out, and see what you can pick out that are references, but obviously mm. enjoy the the own unique sense of humour as well. Well, it's been fantastic to chat so far. We are gonna we are gonna wrap things up shortly. I know we're running kind of shortish on time. I will take a moment, uh, just a quick pause here to acknowledge the patrons of Dev Diary. So I guess tune in for myself, where I'll shout those people out. And so it's at this point in the show that I want to make sure that I shout out all of the amazing patrons at the show shout out tier on patreon.com slash dev diary podcast. Those people are supporting at the top tier in the show, gets them this shout out, and I'm eternally thankful because you are helping fuel the fire that is dev diary now and into the future. And so with this newest episode, I want to shout out Scott Makes Games and my mum, Julie James, thank you very much for supporting this show, and let's get back to it. And we're back. So as we start to wind things down, John, has there been anyone that that you've worked with that you've looked at from afar that's really inspired you in the way you go about your work? Um, and I guess we just recently touched on kind of humor and those sort of things, and kind of some of the total things. Then I'm sure there's aspects of that, but even you know, game design, you've been able to work with some amazing people in a, in a, in a relatively short period of time. Um, but of course, there's all these incredible external influences too. Is there anything that's really, or anyone I should say, that's been a really important figure for you? Yeah, I mean, the, the people I've worked with, definitely. I mean, I'd take away as much as I can from that. I mean, there's always you're the heroes that you, you want to meet, but, you know, uh, I mean, you've got Carmack and Romero, obviously. You never know, you never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's one of those things. Um, but also, like Tim Schafer, for sure. Yes. Like, uh, I mean, that's, you know, I stole the way he, he writes, you know, the, the pen to paper method. Um, I mean, the documentary was awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, I sort of absorb everything I can. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, it, there's the, you know, the, the big famous heroes, but honestly, it's just the, the people you work with that you can learn from that make the biggest impact, right? Like, it's just, Of course. Yeah, and just yeah. I mean, you constantly want to try and meet new and, and better people as much as you can. You know, you get more perspectives. You know, learn as much as you can from people who've been doing it longer and better. And yeah, yeah, just trying not to stagnate, I suppose. But um, and I guess yeah. I guess to that point, um, what have been some of those most valuable things that you've learned over the course of these last few years in development? Whether it's whether it's things from your own experiences with your own studio to to those before when you were working essentially for someone else uh i guess i don't know um never really thought of it i guess have there been any experiences at all that have perhaps i guess always remained there like that that one big learning okay this this thing that sometimes it can be from failure things that don't work you know what was that are there any of those sort of moments that have really i guess stuck with you that serve as a constant reminder well i think that because I've worked outside of the industry for many years in awful retail jobs, I think it's always a good reminder uh, that, you know, the, the worst day in game dev is way better than the best day in retail. Right. Yeah. And so I, like, I, I try not to let anything sort of get me down on the, the game dev side because I, I get, like I love it 
even even the awful stuff you know the all the business stuff all the stuff that you you don't want to do you just want to make a game like that's the stuff that sucks but like it's still way better than like what i have done so yeah of course yeah yeah just keep them positive well uh a couple fun ones as we start to wrap things up and i feel like i know kind of maybe the ballpark here that you might go with your first answer if you could be credited for any game so retroactively add your name into the credits and say i worked on that what game would you pick what do you think it is well, I figure it's got to be one of the one of those old school shooters, right? A Doom, uh, it, uh, a Wolfenstein, a Quake, you know that sort of that sort of era of FPS. That or the 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 point and clicks, the Monkey Islands, the the Tim Schafer sort of peak or pinnacle era in the eyes of a lot for the the point and click games. Yeah, I mean the to be honest, the, it would be you know, something like Monkey Island, uh, or it'd be Arcanum or Arkham, oh, yeah. however you say it. Yep. Uh, you know, grew up grew up playing CRPGs, and I really love the world of Arkham. Um, and I hope that a sequel gets made or something with it. Now that Microsoft owns the rights to it, but uh, yeah, I mean that that'd be the two big ones. But yeah, probably Mike Allen more than anything. That's fair. Um, conversely, yeah. if you could strike any game from your memory and get to experience it all over again. Is it, is it a Monkey Island or is there something else that you'd love to be able to have that experience of playing it completely afresh? Uh, yeah. I mean, Monkey Island ruled, but as a kid, it was also frustrating uh, <laughs> not having a guide or anything because some of those puzzles are pretty obtuse. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Such was the era, really. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It, it depends because... It, I mean, you don't get too deep in the question, but when do you play it? You know, do you, you know, Halo at the time when I got the original Xbox was so mind blowing to me. I remember, you know, just looking at the grass and seeing how textured it was and how amazing it was. Um, but if I was to play that now, I wouldn't have those same emotions. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I probably wouldn't strike any and just keep playing new games. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, that's what excites me. No, that's that, that's awesome. And so, um, I totally don't blame you in the slightest for having that sort of approach, to that sort of question, because there's a there's an importance to the vacuum with which you actually play these games in too um and without them who knows where you might have ended up too so um fantastic answer well john it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and and sharing this journey so far it'll be fascinating i'm sure for people to kind of pair your episode up with garth that we recorded a little while ago trying to kind of get them all airing in the similar sort of ballpark here so that we can uh kind of bounce back and forth and give people you know some insights on both sides of the fence there but uh in the meantime, if people want to learn more about Bears in Space, if they want to see what you're up to, where should people go? Uh, first thing they should do is wishlist Bears in Space on Steam. Uh, and then from there, we've got uh, Twitter. I think it's Broadside Games Dev, I think. Um, yeah, just on the socials. Uh, I'm not very active, so maybe just follow the, the company, I suppose. It's probably the, the best bet. <laughs> I'll double check that uh, that social that social handle for you. Broadside underside uh, broadside underscore games. So people should go, go. And, go and check that out, and so we can get all your, all your details and all things bears in space. There is some fantastic footage out there. If you really if you you're unsure about, I mean, we've I think we've painted a pretty rosy picture tonight. But if you're still a little bit unsure as to what the game entails, please go check out even yeah even just the social media handles there. There's there's um, plenty to see if you want to learn more about the game. And I'll attest to having gone on, gone hands on with it back at PAX that uh, I had an absolute blast, and I am notably much to the ridicule often of a lot of friends and player two editors as well. Absolutely horrific with, uh, especially with a mouse and keyboard in hand when it comes to shooters. 
I wasn't too bad, in my humble opinion. Um, there's yeah, there, there's there's lot, uh, there's lots to enjoy here. So I certainly encourage people to go check the, all that out anyway, in, in the near future. But uh, as I said, John, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing um, what you have today. And uh, I think I'm speaking for everyone on the show. We look forward to to seeing Bears in Space when it launches. Do we have do we have a window of some sort that we're allowed to discuss and shoot me down if we if we can't? Yeah, it's uh, going to be early next year. There we go. So people should stay tuned yeah. and look forward to that. Um, but as always, thank you listeners very, very much for listening and I'll see you next time. Thanks. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share with your friends, give us a five star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been John's story. Thank you very much for listening. And I'll see you next time.